As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Thank you for listening to the show that brings you the thought and theology of C.S. Lewis with me, Ruth Jackson. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com, where you can also find lots of great articles, resources and podcasts. And you can also register there for the chance to win a free book. If you enjoy listening to the C.S. Lewis Podcast, please do consider rating and reviewing it. But now for today's show. I am delighted to be joined by Phil Knox, an evangelism and missiology senior specialist at the Evangelical Alliance. Phil is also the author of two books, Storybearer and most recently, The Best of Friends. Prince Caspian is is one of those, I mean, they're all brilliant, aren't they? But Prince Caspian, you know, we see some of those characters that we know and love, like Lucy and Peter and Edmund, um, but there's other characters, there's, there's the dwarf, Trumpkin the dwarf has sort of been added into the mix. What was it about that book that so compelled you and so moved yeah. you to tears when you were talking to Caleb, your son? I mean, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because I think also you, the other thing I was re- reflecting on around Prince Caspian is the way, the way... Narnia falls into darkness and as a kind of illustration of the constant kind of kind of ebbs and flows of, of battle and blessing you know in, in our lives in society in the world there are these kind of rhythms where you know at the end of you know it immediately follows chronologically the kind of line the witch in the wardrobe you've gone for these glory years where you've got kings on the throne and Narnia's peace in peacetime and then you kind of get the rule of Miraz, wicked uncle, whatever. And then it needs liberation and constantly this ebb and flow of, need, of us and our world and our society constantly falling into darkness and needing liberation. That's, I think that's a rebuke allegory. But I think for me, as an evangelist, this passage really uh, made the difference. I love, I love Lucy, love her relation, her relationship with Aslan is so beautiful. And there's this moment in Prince Caspian where Lucy's the only one who can see Aslan. And it's a lovely picture of what it's like for those of us who are Christians who want to communicate the good news to those who don't yet know Jesus. And we know how amazing it is. We know the life that he brings. We know that we're going to heaven. We know we've been forgiven for our sins. We know that God's with us. But yet others can't see. And this moment where Aslan tells Lucy to go and to go and get wake the others up and come and come and see him. And the others are asleep. They don't believe Lucy's seen Jesus. And there's this lovely line where it says it's a terrible thing to have to wake four people all older than yourself and all very tired for the purpose of telling them something they probably don't, won't believe and <laughs> making them do something they certainly won't like. I mean, as a definition of, of, <laughs> of evangelism, that's a pretty good one uh, at C.S. Lewis. Um, and then, of course, they do believe and then, and then follow. And because of Lucy's obedience in that. And I think as an evangelist, I so often feel, I don't want to tell that person about Jesus. I don't want to stop and talk to them. I don't want to have that difficult conversation with a friend. 
it's a terrible thing to wake four people for the purpose of telling them something they don't want to believe. Maybe. And then, and then Lucy says, I mustn't think about it. I must just do it. And I, as I read again, read those lines, I'm like, I think about my own struggles. So I'm reading to Caleb and think about the struggles he will probably go to go through in telling his mates about Jesus. And I'm like, that's pretty true. That's really good. I think the age thing is really significant as well, isn't it? I think there's probably a reason that C.S. Lewis used Lucy as a child and and the fact that, you know, we often feel so insecure. Perhaps it's not an age thing, perhaps it's an intelligence thing or, you know, we always think, oh, but we're the least of all of these. And actually it was, it was Lucy's boldness and and her braveness that that brought so many to Aslan well you sort of mentioned the silver chair is is there anything else you want to talk about about the silver chair or yeah I mean let's 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 look at the moment Prince Rillian is released from the chair (laughs) which again I'm not that moment isn't there where they kind of also I just think the other thing is you know um Eustace and Jill have had this journey through Narnia where they've completely messed up over and over again. They've got things wrong. They've missed the signs. They forgot to recite the signs, etc. And the grace of God in this moment where basically you've got, you know, this, this man who's threatened to kill them if he releases them from the chair because he's under a spell. They don't yet know that it's Prince William. But the, but they've been told that whenever anyone asks you to do something by the name of Aslan, they've got to do it. And as there's this moment and he's, you know, where, where the man in the chair says, by all fears and loves, by the bright skies of Overland, by the great lion, by Aslan himself, I charge you. This moment where they go, oh, it's the sign, says Puddleglum. <laughs> and then they try, and then there's this moment for, for all three, you know, for Puddleglum, Eustace and Jill, where they're like, did God really say that? Do I really have to be obedient? Is there, I mean, and as a reader, you're getting, is there a better summary of what it is to be a, an obedient Christian? Because I read my Bible, I'm like, God, do I really have to give my money away? Do I really have to, you know, lay down my life for others? Do I really have to share my faith with my friends? Do I really have to? I mean, there's all these little, you know, moments where God and sometimes in the, the prompting of the spirit says, go and do something, go and sell something, go and share something. And we don't want to. But yeah, what happens is in this in this beautiful account, it's a bit C.S. Lewis, right? So it was a dread, it was a dreadful question. Could it be a mere accident? Had the Queen of the Underworld known about the signs? And then, then Jill says, if only we knew. Puddleclum says, I think we do know. And, and, and Puddleclum says, he says, Aslan didn't tell Paul what would happen. He only told her what to do. That fellow will be the death of us. Once, once he's up, I shouldn't wonder. But that doesn't let us off following the sign. And there's something about obedience to God, which says, come what may. As a disciple of Jesus, we have to do what he says. And I think I just, in that moment, the reason I, I moved now, the reason I was crying then is I recognise time and time again in the Christian life, I'm so reluctant to do what God says, but I just know it's the right thing to do. And you just go, I'm just going to do it. And then, of course, Rillian gets that, comes out of the chair, it's the right thing, he rips his mask off, takes down the chair and is released. And again, a beautiful picture of how others release, help play their part in releasing us from the from the curse of death over us and slavery and, and everything else so so yeah and we've alluded to the puddle glum puddle glum narrative which is just wonderful um as a kind of you know summary of what it is to really go for it and often and often the kind of the guy the the, the, the unlikely guy who's who's a bit of a depressive <laughs> bit of a bit of a pessimist puddle glum he's the hero who comes out and saves the day so yeah wonderful phil you're making me want to right now go back and read all of the narnia chronicles this is so lovely
Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I have a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time, and some of Tom Wright's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask Inti Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash C.S. Lewis. That's premierinsight.org forward slash C.S. Lewis. Thank you. The final book, The Last Battle, which yeah. is you know pretty dark at points and, and, and pretty brutal. What was it about The Last Battle that, that so moved you, still so moves you? What are some of the key moments in that that, that really impacted you as an evangelist, as a Christian, as a dad? Yeah, we don't, we don't do, we don't talk about often, we don't often talk about heaven. Um, I, I think as Christians, often, often, even, even in our evangelism, we're talking about in terms of the present. But for me, one of the most compelling, beautiful things of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that, that we, there is eternal life. You know, life begins and, and goes and goes on forever with him. Um, and that, that, you know, towards the end, as you say, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty, gets, you know, it gets pretty dark, but the end is just so beautifully, beautifully hopeful and i've already finished this this bit by reading the kind of the last you know that last kind of paragraph and um there's some and there are some challenging things in there so susan isn't there at the mm. at, in that in that kind of moment where they're walking towards further up further and susan isn't there because she's lost her faith it seems and kind of been distracted by the by the rest of the world so that's a really, really interesting point but i think what the thing i love the what thing that stands out most is the kind of clearly c.s lewis's theology of the fate of the unevangelized by which I mean those people who have never heard about Jesus, never had an opportunity to say yes or reject or reject the gospel. And I just I, I don't think there's any other better example of of that than the kind of than what happens to a character called Emeth in there, who's part of the kind of Calamines, not not a Narnian, but is um, but it's kind of very, very faithful and, and honourable and probably an insight into what C.S. Lewis thinks of, you know, the, the people of other faiths. People who've never heard the good news of Jesus. And there's this wonderful moment where then there's this kind of C.S. Lewis's heaven in Narnia where they're going to go through the stable door. And Emmeth finds himself there and encounters Aslan and thinks he's going to be destroyed because he's hated Aslan all his, all his life, because he's been taught to hate Aslan all his life. And then it kind of you know, it says this is his experience. He says, then I fell at his feet and thought, surely this is the hour of death for the lion will know that I have served Tash all my days and not him. And then it's come on, look at this. But the glorious one bent down his golden head and touched my forehead with his tongue and said, son, thou art welcome. And I said, alas, Lord, I'm no son of thine, but a servant of Tash. He answered, child, all the service thou hast done to Tash, I account a service done to me. And I've got no idea. I'm glad I'm not in charge as to who gets to heaven. <laughs> but I hope that's true. I hope that I hope that what is true for people who've never had the opportunity to accept or reject Jesus in life meet Jesus and he says something similar all the service 
that I was done to insert God here. I count as service to me because he sees our heart. And so often when you get asked that difficult apologetic question of what happens to children who aren't able to choose Jesus yet, people who don't have the mental cognitive ability, people in parts of the world, in tribes you've never heard about, that is for me the absolute best example. And I think there's something about the heart of God there. I don't know if it's true. I'm not the judge of that. I hope it's true though. Phil, I feel like I might know that answer to this, but but would you say that C.S. Lewis is still relevant today, 60 years after his death? Well, the question is, isn't it, Ruth, is is, 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 is the gospel relevant today? And I, I hope you know me well enough to know that, that it really is. Nah. So if the gospel's relevant, C.S. Lewis is absolutely relevant because, because as we've talked about on previous podcasts, story right? Story is nothing like story for unlocking the human imagination of the human heart. So through Narnia, I, I will be reading, in my lifetime, if I continue to, to to live as long as I would hope to, I'll read them a few more times, hopefully to my kids, maybe to my grandchildren. But what a, what a beautiful picture of not only the good news of Jesus, but also the Christian life. Uh, there is so much richness in there. We could, we could fill at least another five podcasts, I think, with beautiful yeah. quotes and discussions and and and, uh, and, and how that relates to, to, to life itself. Um, yes, C.S. Lewis is ridiculously relevant today. So what can we learn from him as we finish off this podcast? What can we learn from C.S. Lewis? I think the let's when we're looking for pictures of who Jesus is, the Bible compares uh, God to the, the Lion of Judah. And C.S. Lewis is so deliberate in that. So if we're looking for pictures as to who, to what God is like, the, the person of Aslan in the Narnia books is a wonderful comparison. And, and C.S. Lewis was clearly someone who loved scripture, who, who, who knew the depths of the Bible, and so therefore translates that knowledge of scripture into the person of Aslan. And so, so would I say that I've got to know God better through Aslan? Yes, I have. And, and even, you know, even what you, what do you get? You get in the, in the Dawn Treader, which is one book we haven't, we haven't looked at. Um, you know, uh, he, Aslan says to, uh, to, to Edmund and, and Lucy, um, it's a moment, but he says to Lucy, but you shall meet me there, dear one. And Edmund says, are, are you there too, sir, in, in, in the real world? And Aslan says, I am, but there I have another name. You must learn to know me by that name. This was the very reason you were brought into Narnia. And by knowing me a little here, you may know me better there. I think in there you get the heart of C.S. Lewis's desire to write the Narnia books. That by getting to know uh, him here, we get to know Jesus better in our world. And so my encouragement to all of us is, uh, the, of course, the primary reliable data on God is the Bible. No. But Narnia is probably, in my mind, the second best uh, commentary um, on, on, on who God is and what he's like because of C.S. Lewis's relationship with Jesus and the stories that he tells that we might better know him in this world through Aslan and Narnia. Phil, thank you so much. Um, we are going to be hearing more from you because you're going to be talking about the impact of one of Lewis's other books, The, the Four Loves, on your own book, The Best of Friends. But um, thank you so much for everything you shared. And if you want to know more about the Narnia Chronicles, we did actually do a whole series with Professor Alistair McGrath on that, sort of unpacking some of the depth of that. But Phil, thank you so much for such a moving and personal insight. Thanks, Ruth. Thank you for listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast with me, Ruth Jackson. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com, where you can also find lots of great articles, resources and podcasts. 
and do register there for the chance to win a free book. That's premierunbelievable.com. If you enjoy listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast, please do consider rating and reviewing it. Thank you for listening and see you next time. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.